Hi, my name's Elijah and welcome to Roots Podcast, an interview channel that dives into the personal stories of those in the hospitality industry, whether it be in the restaurant, out in the field, and those in the media, as they look back on where it all started for them. It is a retrospective look on the passion, ambition, and drive involved in a competitive industry. I would like to note that the Roots Podcast is proudly supported by the Australian Good Food Guide, a hospitality guide that started in 1977 and still continues to rate and support restaurants ever since. On today's episode, we have Ben Devlin, the co-owner and head chef behind the one-hatted native ingredient and local produce-based restaurant Pippet in North New South Wales. In 2014, he won Queensland's Good Food Guide's Young Chef of the Year, and at the same time, he was head chefing at Brisbane's first three-hatted restaurant, Esquire, before leaving to executively head up the very successful Paper Daisy. In mid-2019, both Ben and his wife, Yen Trin, opened up the much-anticipated Pippet restaurant, and the rest is history. Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> As always, uh, I like to open up the conversation by taking this to where it all began for you. Uh, growing up, what was life like for you? Um, I guess pretty casual, really. Pretty easy. <laughs> I, I, I'm one of those very fortunate people that, that grew up in Byron Bay. Um, so life was pretty calm for the most part. Um, yeah, it's my, my uncle has a, or had a restaurant in Byron, not too far from where I grew up, sort of in, out in the country a little bit. Uh, his son, uh, Che, runs that now. And so I was kind of around that a bit, but I never really, you know, we, we never went in there when they were, you know, running because, you know, obviously they were busy. There were a restaurant there, stuff to do. <laughs> um, but we had some really lovely barbecues and things like that with them because it was like a big old sort of homestead. Um, but I guess I never really thought a lot about it. And then, got a job washing dishes in a cafe by the beach in Byron and kind of took it from there. So I didn't really work with family too much when I was younger. It was all working with other people. Yeah. What was the kind of restaurant that they had growing up, the family restaurant? Um, it was quite nice. Um, I believe it got a hat at some point uh, reasonably early on. Um, it was called the Fig Tree because it was under a massive fig tree. It's a very, very beautiful place. So it overlooks Byron. You can see the you know the bay and the lighthouse and all that sort of things kind of up on a hill yeah, yeah um really beautiful spot they, they're still open now they actually the restaurant actually burnt to the ground last year in october but they, the business yeah the business still runs they do um events in off-site and that sort of thing but the restaurant itself um oh, got to have been like 30 odd years old and wow. you know timber um and yeah burnt burnt to the ground last year so they're in the process of rebuilding that it was a beautiful spot. Um, my uncle traveled a lot uh, when he was younger. So it was kind of like this sort of introduction for, for me to a lot of flavors that I wouldn't otherwise have seen. Things like saffron and, um, you know, rose water and things that are extremely common in a lot of, you know, maybe sort of like Indian or Sri Lankan or Southeast Asian food. But, um, you know growing up in Byron Bay they just straight up didn't exist you know <laughs> but yeah as I said we, we worked you know I worked somewhere else I, I never really worked with him I, I worked at a cafe on the beach that had a little window that looked out and you could see you know girls in bikinis ordering chips and stuff like that so it was the kind of place that as a 15 year old boy you were pretty pretty happy to work at yeah dream uh, job yeah but didn't really do a lot just kind of made burgers and chips and things like that um and then, yeah, I, I moved up to Brisbane to work after I finished high school because you know, I wanted to be in a kitchen and I wanted to be somewhere good and I figured it wasn't really going to happen in Byron, so I was out. I was gone. Yeah. 
So it's pretty clear that early on your family were a, somewhat of a you know major influence on on the hospitality and cooking culture. They definitely were, but I don't think I I definitely wouldn't have seen it you know at the time. Right. Um, I because it was you know it was sort of you know second second step family you know uncle and, and grandparents and that sort of thing. Not so much my parents, brothers and sisters. It kind of felt very distant to to me. Um, things that obviously had an impact, but at the time you sort of you know didn't really think much about it. You know, you weren't it wasn't um, directly impacting you in that sense. Just to take it back to the um, the family's venue, you, you said it burnt down. Was that like you said that was October, so that wouldn't have been affected by the bushfires? They had a fire of, of a different nature, unfortunately. Um, I think it was based out of the laundry originally. So Shit. yeah, one of those. Uh, yeah, one of those unfortunate things. My my uncle who built the restaurant was actually in Italy at the time. He was having dinner somewhere, and my cousin, you know, it was two or three in the morning that um that it happened, and he was he lives close by, so he was on site as it was, you know, on fire. He sort of you know video called his dad and was like, you know, this is yeah, you should probably see this. This is uh this is your restaurant. Wow. Um, so he's you know across the other side of the world, he could yeah see his restaurant burn down, which is wow. you know. Not ideal, but at the end of the day, it's just a building and it's the kind of thing that, you know, he he spent that weekend, you know, just on the phone, all suppliers, all staff, you know, every single bride for the rest of the year because, it was, you know, it was on the news, that sort of thing. Give him a call. This is what's happened. This is what we're going to do and, you know, move them all around and, you know, make everyone happy as much as possible. So, yeah, very, a very inspirational sort of character, really, because very, very fortunate to have them in our corner, really. Far out. That's crazy. Such tragedy. Yeah. It's a shame. Hey. Yeah. Well, you know. Shit happens. Happens. You mentioned before that coming out of the end of high school, you moved up to Queensland. Yeah. Why? Well, um, living in Byron, you kind of have. Well, obviously, you could stay there, but the the big two options really is: are you, you going to move to Brisbane or are you going to move to Sydney? <laughs> um, I wasn't going to uni. I was going to do a chef's apprenticeship. So you so just I, you knew that straight away. Yeah, I. Um, I figured that by the end of high school, to be honest, yes. I, I've been working in this cafe, you know, I wanted to, wanted to shape surfboards or, or be a lawyer or something like that. And <laughs> I just kind of realized that neither of those things were really going to be for me and working in the restaurant, working in the cafe that I was working in was a really good group of people. Um, you know, we made nice enough food, but it was just people that really cared for me, really looked out for me and, and had the kind of feeling that you know you could have something nice out of this you know you could have a good life out of this and you know i enjoyed doing it It was kind of like i remember one day making a cake at work and it was just kind of like i came in and i you know i did my stuff and they gave me a recipe followed the recipe make a cake and at the end of it it's like there's a cake it's ice it's ready it's a nice looking cake and i was like that's really satisfying you know i have achieved a thing i've turned <laughs> stuff that was you know just eggs and sugar and whatnot into a functional physical cake and i feel quite happy with that you know that, that that was a really nice feeling so that kind of leads on to the idea of you know making more and more things you know now we make bread and we cure meats and we make cheese and we do we do all sorts of stuff um because we can mm. and you know you can turn something that's not a functional thing or as a grouping of things into something spectacular so yeah i think that was the key driving force there yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, we moved up to Brisbane to follow some friends. Um, I knew that I wanted to work somewhere nice, so I just searched for 
good chefs really and then went and knocked on doors until i got got jobs really um didn't really know what i was getting into um i didn't know brisbane at all um i felt very very lost very quickly um but yeah i eventually got into um a nice enough restaurant and did some work for free for a little bit and then they got me a job and so yeah i, I lived in brisbane for probably oh like six or seven years uh, before i went overseas how long ago was this well, that's like 2000 to 2000, oh, sorry, 2002 to 2009, I think I went overseas. Oh, so, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, so I, yeah, I worked at, um, I worked at El Centro for a little bit. I worked at Lat 27 for a while, which isn't there anymore. Um, I worked at Restaurant 2 for a little while, which is also not there anymore. And then I worked at Urbane for a few years, um, which was, which was quite good, which is also not there anymore. Yeah. Um, it's a shame to hear about that yeah um so that was that was before the renovations so it was when it was just the restaurant of urbane before they had the euro and the laneway, laneway bar and yeah. that sort of thing yeah um so basically where the restaurant of urbane is now i think pretty much or was all of its dining room i think pretty much was basically the restaurant in the kitchen so it wasn't particularly big um with a very very small kitchen um, and that was working with Kim uh, Machen and, and Ryan Squires for a little bit there as well. Um, so, yeah, very different to what, like, I, I've been in there a couple of times since it changed because the renovations happened when I moved overseas. Um, and it was like, yeah, this tiny, this tiny place with these, you know, the, we had to, you know, go downstairs to the dry stores that was, you know, exposed to the elements to a certain degree. And, um, you know, the driveway out the back was, terrible and you know it was it was a bit of a nightmare kitchen the, the extraction broke and we had to work in there for like two weeks with no extraction which was just ungodly hot <laughs> um it was yeah it was crazy but i mean it was great it was it was it was a very um it was a very intense place to be time yeah. we wanted to do things that were quite nice um and we didn't have a lot to do them with um but yeah it was good good training like you know good good hard work um who was, nice people to work with. Who was head chefing there at the time when you were there? Was... When I first started there, Ryan Squires was the chef. Right. Um, but that was probably only for about a month or so. And then I worked with Kim Machen for like three years, I think three and a right. half years. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kim's good. He's he's very um, very high energy, very intense guy. Um, did very beautiful food. But yeah, it was it was a crazy place. I, I was also there. So my my last day was the day that we closed down for renovations because we had this closing party where we're just like tearing down walls and <laughs> smashing glasses and just just um just just destroying the place um i woke up the next morning like I'm, i've been headbutting walls and i'd like punched a wall that was concrete and because i thought it was hollow and I woke up the next morning we just cut some bruises and just just felt absolutely horrible <laughs> but it was a lot of fun yeah great yeah, no, it was good. I um I had the opportunity to stage there for uh, a couple of days for over two weeks, some two years ago now. Uh, but that yeah. was when Andrew Gunn was working there as head chef. Yeah, um, I haven't met him, but I've heard he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was great. He was great. Um, yeah. And so I just I was able to work there. I was only in Brisbane for like two weeks or three weeks or something. So I was at there, Goma and Gorge. I just did like little stages throughout the week. Yeah. Just just kind of like I was just traveling. So um and yeah yeah the, when i walked into that uh urbane <laughs> kitchen i didn't really get what was going on because i'm like everyone's cooking completely different things i didn't realize at that time 
that uh, those three restaurants are running out of the same kitchen, essentially. Yeah. And I was just looking at all these different chefs and I'm like, no one's talking to each other. What's going on? Like, you got yeah. one side doing their own thing. I was like, what's like, it was just so weird. And then Andrew was like, oh, you just come and play it on the pass with me. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. And just seeing all this, all this stuff happen. I was like, this is just crazy. Like, yeah. it was just phenomenal. But um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Like, it was a great, great little kitchen team, you know? Um, yeah. Well, there's a guy in our team now that was working with Andrew for a while, um, Sam Sam Bartlett Roylance. Yeah, he was working with Andrew for a while. I'm not sure if he was there when you were there because I don't know how long he actually worked there for. Um, but he speaks very highly of it, he's, and he's a very very good guy to work with here. But yeah, it's um, that sort of that sort of area where you're trying to <laughs> run multiple, <laughs> multiple menus out of one kitchen is um it's, it's my nightmare I, I can't can't stand it um it's you know it's what we were doing at paper daisy and i just oh really yeah i don't don't like it at all <laughs> <laughs> if you can if you can avoid it i would avoid it like the plague personally but you know, yeah that's all right it happens yeah so um, you, and you're working with ryan squire long before he opened up um esquire obviously in nesk yeah, so yeah, we we worked together for a little while at Esqu- at um, at Urbane, rather. Yeah, right. Um, which was good. So I think at the time he'd recently come back from living overseas and sort of doing some time at at um, the French Laundry and at Per Se and at, at El Bulli. Um, so he was kind of full of ideas and he was still very very young and, and enthusiastic. Not that he's not that he's old and not enthusiastic now, but I guess <laughs> at the time he was, you know, he was he was pretty keen to to make a, a strong mark. So that was. That sort of attracted me to go and work there. Yeah. Um, and I had, I had a friend of mine who was working there at the time, and it was just kind of like, you kind of need to get into this kitchen, you know, if, if you can, because it's, you know, it's where you're going to learn. It's, it's where the good things are happening, basically. So, um, yeah, just trying to just jumped in, really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, unfortunately, he didn't, didn't last there for, for ages, but the, you know, the framework was there and, and the owners were still good people, and we, continue to do nice things which was good yeah um yeah it was a crazy spot you know you did some very busy days and then some you know some really quiet days um played we played cricket in the back alleyway some nights because we you know there was just waiting for guests <laughs> to arrive you know there's no bookings till like 7 30 so like all right well, let's go maybe to stick cricket outside for a minute or something like that like, like all right cool we can we can do that for a few minutes sure. yeah right <laughs> Um, okay, yeah. yeah, okay, crazy. So, yeah, we'll get back there, but we'll take this back to now having worked in and around Brisbane for a little bit uh, after the apprenticeship. Um, yeah. And obviously, you knew pretty early on you wanted to just kind of go your own way and travel a bit as well as cook. Yeah, well, I, I was wanting to go overseas for a few years and I kind of putting it off with various things. And it kind of just came to a head where it's like, well, kind of need to do this. Urbane was closing down. So it's like, well, now's the time. So, I think back and like I left. I think I got my tax return. I had like like two grand or something like that. Nice. Um, I prepaid for my flights <laughs> and like I pre-booked some accommodation in a in a um, in a hostel for a bit. But I basically made a plan to travel for a few weeks, um, and then I was going to land in uh, Copenhagen, and I had accommodation booked for like uh, like three weeks because it was pretty expensive. But I was planning to work for free for at least two months. Um, and by the time I sort of got there, I was very low on money. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it at all. Um, couldn't really pay for accommodation past the three weeks. So I ended up kind of just sleeping on people's houses or like hiding in a spare room in a friend's share house until, 
his roommates realized that someone was coming in super late at night and leaving super early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and they kicked me out, which is fair enough. Um, but it was very nice for a few days. Um, and yeah, just kind of trying to make it work. Um, I was lucky. I, cause I'm, I'm an Irish citizen, so I had an EU passport. Um, so I worked for free for a couple of months and then sort of just said, look, I re- I'd really like to stay. I'd really like a job. Um, at the time, it hadn't yet been named world's best restaurant, but it was still pretty high up on the list. So there was a lot of people there, but kind of after it was, you know, named number one, it went pretty apeshit. So <laughs> I guess I was pretty pretty lucky to get in a little bit earlier. Yeah, they they offered me a job. I just had to complete my my two months of working for free, and then um, you got paid at the end of the month. So I worked for – I travelled for something like two months. I worked – without getting paid for about three months. Wow. And by the end of that, I, it was, you know, I'd, I'd left Australia without much in the way of cold weather clothing. So I thought, well, you know, by the time winter comes, I'll have been getting paid, surely. <laughs> sure. Um, and <laughs> I'm sure I'll be fine by then. I'll be able to buy jackets and stuff. Um, so, yeah, by the time sort of, I think I didn't get any money until sort of like the second week of December. And um, it was cold as balls. Um, <laughs> I was wearing, you know, multiple pairs of tracksuit pants and multiple jumpers just to try and you know survive cold and then eventually get a paycheck and it's like yep straight to the shops i need a jacket i need some shoes like i need to really like most of the paycheck was gone straight away because i was just so cold what was it like working for for renee at the time to be honest i didn't really know much about him before i went um so i didn't really know what to expect he was um it's funny like sometimes you get a head chef that will tell you off for something and you didn't realize it was wrong and you might still think you're right for some reason um or you might not agree with them for some reason they'll catch you catch out something that you didn't even see um but you'd be like well, i think you're kind of taking the piss here or whatever Rene was always right he was always right um he would catch things that you didn't realize were wrong his taste buds were impeccable um and if he saw something was wrong, he could explain to you why it was wrong and you would see where it was wrong, but you didn't see it before. Like you would, you know, it was, it was educational in that sense. You know, Rene was, he was always right. Yeah. He, he was a genuinely an extremely good chef. He could monitor the past without looking at, he knew where the tables were up to, he knew what was going on. You know, to be fair, he had a bit of a temper at times, uh, which was hard, but he was right. Mm. was always right um and that's i think that's really important because sometimes yeah people might tell you off um and you might think well that's a bit bit much or you know you might not like the way they've done it and you might also just not quite agree with them whereas in his perspective he was always accurate you know um and he was always looking to improve on things always looking with a really critical eye like um he would raise questions you know you might present something to him you think oh, this is pretty good like pretty happy with this um you know for whatever reason um and he'd go sure but have you thought about this you know have you mm. can can you tell me about what what is this why is it here what is it doing uh and you'd go well that's a really good question i haven't actually thought about that um and it would cause you to go back and, and you know and fix it and improve on it or you know make a change um to what the way you were working or to the concept behind it or whatever it was yeah it was very interesting in that sense it, so it definitely made me think a lot differently about everything you know everything had thought behind it yeah whether it was the way people were greeted as they walked in the door the words you used to explain things 
um, you know, the things they were using to eat with or, you know, obviously the product, where the product came from, how the product was stored, you know, and then eventually how it was served. Everything had thought behind it. Um, and I think at the time, you know, before that, that wasn't always the case. And, you know, a lot of the things that we were doing beforehand, we were doing them because we just thought they were cool. You know what I mean? Like we'd seen that Spanish food was really interesting and modern food was really interesting. And so we had half an idea what was going on. So we tried it, you know, or we saw something in the French laundry book. So we tried to replicate it or something like that. Whereas at that point it was like, you weren't really asking yourself the question, why? Whereas the big thing for them was, yeah, I mean, why are you doing this? What, what, what purpose does it serve? Mm. Is it creating a better experience? Is it um, telling a story properly about, you know, where we are and what's happening at this point? Um, and is it genuinely improving the experience? Um, and I think that that's a thing that really I should have been thinking about far before that, but I just wasn't. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I didn't feel like the people I was working with were either. But mm. that's obviously just... You know, it's just my experience. I'm probably just a stupid kid that didn't didn't pay attention to what was going on. So, you know, it, it took took that to really snap me out of it. I guess. Yeah. Are there any memories that really kind of stick out to you when you look back at your time there at Noma? Like any specific experiences that you always kind of stick with you? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a few. Like there was a point where I was looking after all the stagiaires, and so that job also involved doing a lot of foraging um it was coming up to summer like it was summer um and so we had quite a few stagiaires um so my my role would be get in early um you know make sure things are there that you know that need to be there set up basically a prep list for the day kind of delegate everyone else's jobs and then take a team of people and drive to to the beach or to the forest or something like that and pick for a number of hours take that team back um, in time for staff meal and drop everything off and then basically take a different team out for a few hours at night. So oh, wow. I remember there was this point where it was like, I think it was midsummer, which is like a big holiday, and they, they burn effigies of, uh, not saints, but like they burn like a big thing for um, fertility basically. And, you know, fertility for people, but also for, you know, for the ground and that sort of thing. And so there's all these fires happening at the beach. And so I'm at the beach picking wild roses and it's like nine o'clock at night. Sun's still out. There's fires everywhere. Um, and it's just this weird thing where you're like, part of it is like, guys, keep fucking picking these roses. Like, we need to get bags <laughs> of this stuff. We have stuff to do. Like, but at the same time, it's like you stop and look around. It's like, this is quite exceptional. What I'm seeing right now is... I don't understand why I'm here right now to a certain degree. Like, I don't even, I don't, yeah, it's, you know, sometimes you would sort of look at the situation you were in and just like, I don't know how I got here. Like, this is crazy. Yeah, right. Um, I remember when I was one day making staff meal and it was winter and there was a test kitchen on a houseboat that we were working with and they borrowed the pasta machine that I had because they were making like crackers or something and they were rolling them out thin. And so I had to go and get the pasta machine to finish making staff meal. And I remember it was like I was riding a push bike in a chef's uniform with a snow jacket on, holding a pasta machine in the snow from a houseboat back to the world's best restaurant <laughs> in Denmark. And I was like, that's a weird sentence. You know what I mean? Because like, <laughs> that, that whole how you found yourself in this exact point in your life is just weird. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how. So, yeah, there was, there was, some, wild, there was some wild stuff. Like, there, was a, there was a week where the... Um, the Olympics were being announced, like who was going to host them. I can't remember which Olympics it was. Uh, it must have been 
there was one in Brazil, I think, recently, right? Like in 2016. So I think it must have been that one. So there was this week where we had on the waiting list um, Michelle Obama, the King of Spain, the President of Brazil, Pele, the famous footballer, like all these people. And it was like, can't get any of them in because they only just booked and the restaurant's full. But that's a pretty cool wait list. I was like, wow. Yeah, that is that is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Like, But yeah, I mean restaurant was full couldn't get them in like that's so yeah, crazy. They, they, were, they were just all they were all in town because you know america i think chicago was like bidding and spain was bidding and yeah obviously brazil was bidding it was like fucking wild that's, yeah just, that's so nuts yeah it definitely um, sounds yeah. like something you just look back and think fuck like it definitely would have been tough i can imagine but it's definitely something you you look in awe and think fuck like what a place to grow, essentially. Like I remember listening uh, to an interview that Lee Tran did with Hugh Allen, now the head chef at Vudemont. Uh, yeah. and, and he talked about his experience. I think he did the Noma Mexico pop-up. And he mentioned that Noma was very much in its own kind of ballpark in terms of what it was doing there, where it was going. Uh, this may have been probably a bit after where, where you're talking about, after they were yeah. kind of, you know, mentioned best restaurant. Um but in terms of your experience there, could you see how Noma would become that kind of restaurant that's very much seen in its own own, own kind of lane at that time? Uh, it definitely was. I mean, it's it's funny when you think about, obviously, where they're at now um, and where they've been for the last couple of years um, and where we were at the time. So it's kind of like the restaurant that won World's Best Restaurant for the first time there and kind of where they are now or have been are totally different. Right, you know, operate operate in totally different ways. Right, and and so and so to, and so very very different food, and so it's kind of like to think that they were that good back then, and to think about how different they are now and, and mm. how good it is now, is you know quite mind blowing. To be fair, when just after they sort of won, there was this kind of not necessarily a shift in direction, but there was certainly servings became a lot more intensive. Um, there was a lot more in the way of multiple elements spread across different sort of vessels, potentially things that happened at the table that took up more time. Um, things started to grow a lot more. Remember there was a dish that was, it was like a, a fried duck egg that was fried at the table, um, in like a really hot cast iron pan. So it would go out with, you know, the pan, everyone would get their own little pan, um, and they'd get, uh, a timer on the table and it was a very regimented sort of a serving because like the pans had to be at a certain temperature when they left the kitchen so they got to the table at a certain temperature the eggs had to go into the pan within a certain amount of time from leaving the kitchen um, timer had to be started by a service member service member would go back and recheck after a certain amount of time sauces would then be started to be made in the kitchen and then they would go out after a certain period of time like this multi-layered thing that was essentially, a, you know, a, a fried duck egg that would then get finished with all these really beautiful things. And it was this big, grand kind of a serving that was exceptionally complex to get going. You know what I mean? Like, it took a long time to... It took a long time of serving that table. It was multiple trips to the table. Um, very, yeah, very regimented times. Because, obviously, you don't want them to not get their egg cooked. Mm. That would be very disappointing or have it so hot that the egg just burns so it was very carefully orchestrated to make sure that would work and and you know other dishes that were in the kitchen that like um celeriac cooked in goat's butter that was kind of like whole baby celeriac it was just basted in goat's butter 
and it was kind of like it needs to start when this course ends because it takes six courses to cook <laughs> and if you don't do it properly you won't get the right result so it was kind of like you know this dish is gone you need to start cooking celeriac so let, let's go start cooking celeriac um so there was a lot more of those things that required more orchestration yeah um and that you know lent more heavily on the R&D department and then you know at the time we didn't have like a fermentation department but right. we were doing things and then sort of after I left they kind of developed that a lot more so you look at where they're at now and it's kind of the natural progression of what they were doing before but what they're doing now is just you know so much bigger and so much better and so much more organized you know a lot of it then was just kind of like we have this good idea you know it's kind of impossible to make it work we're just going to try and do it anyway. Mm. So we're all just going to need to really run our fucking asses off to get this done. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, sick. No worries. I, I, you know, I'm cool with that. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's do this. Um, whereas now it's definitely a lot more plotted out, planned a lot better. Probably, you know, there's a lot more, um, the critical work is really made sure it definitely works. You know what I mean? Whereas back then it always worked. We didn't really fuck it up, but it was, probably a bit more on a wing and a prayer if that makes sense yeah yeah um so yeah basically <laughs> so did you work many other places uh, after noma before you came back no i um i really liked it there and i was quite happy and i was like i was going to stay longer than i did but i came home for a christmas holiday um and i sort of realized when i was in the sun and I went to the beach and I saw friends and family. I kind of realized how depressed I was and had been for, you know, a while. Uh, and I kind of like, yeah, I, I think I need to go home. I think I need to just be happy again. Um, the first sort of six months there started really well because the sun was out. It was summer. Days were super long. And then as it progressed into winter and I was kind of working, you know, I didn't see sunlight for months. I sort of... I got quite depressed and then I tried to kind of remedy that over the next few years. But yeah, I kind of realized when I came home and life was just that little bit more pleasant that I was like, I think I just want life to be that little bit more pleasant. Mm. I think I can still do nice things. Um, but I think I need to be, I need to be going to the beach a little bit. I need to be in the sun a little bit. You know, I kind of miss this. So I, yeah, I just traveled a little bit more uh, for a couple of months and burned up every cent that I had uh, and then came home. Yeah, so shit. So you do a bit of travel, you come back. It, do you have a bit of a break before you go into Esquire or did you – and how did that all um, kind of come about as well? Well, so Ryan actually came and did a stage at, at Noma for a little bit when I was there. So I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't spoken to him or thought about – him for a long time and then he kind of just one day there he was just in the kitchen I was like shit there's that guy um <laughs> and at the guy. time yeah at the time he was he was building esquire which was good um and i didn't really at that point i didn't have a plan to come home um uh, but he sort of said yeah i mean if you want to if you have a thing you know this is what we're doing and it'd be nice came home and and sort of met him and, and had a chat it was set menu only for the for the larger part of the restaurant, which was kind of challenging at first. I, there wasn't a lot of set menus happening in Brisbane at that point, so it was a bit of a hard sell. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, it kind of it got there in the end. Um, and, yeah, he was a very particular kind of a person. 
Ryan. He has sort of very particular tastes. He liked things to be done in a, in a very specific kind of a way, um, which wasn't, you know, wasn't always, you know, easy to maintain staff with that because I think a lot of people probably weren't thinking on that level. It was good in that sense because it was very much, you know, we can kind of do anything we want. We just need to come up with a good idea and, you know, work hard on it. And we had, you know, reasonable amount of space uh, to work in. Yeah, it was good. And, you know, for me, that was also my first experience working a lot with, um, you know, a coal-fired grill, which was good because I'd only really done that sporadically before that. So it was nice to kind of get in there and, and learn a bit more about that. Tell us about the kind of original, um, I suppose, menu that you guys wanted to push there. Because obviously now both having now no more experience in working at Coin Laundry, you both have full of ideas and you kind of got your certain approach. Did you guys want to take all that and, and put it through a squire or was it something completely different? Um, it was interesting because I guess we, we, we made, I felt like we made a pretty reasonable team. Um, I would think of myself as a very logical person. I don't necessarily think that I'm particularly creative. I try to take on as much information as I can and then kind of just think about it in a slightly different, like break it down to its kind of bare elements and think about it in a different way. He was a very creative guy. It felt like things would just come out of left field sometimes, <laughs> you know, it would just be kind of like, we're just going to stitch these three things together because they're just going to work. I just remember sometimes being like, all right, that seems a bit weird, but yeah, let's, let's, let's break this down and, and, by the two of us kind of working together like that, we'd come up with some, you know, some pretty interesting stuff. Like, yeah. um, there was a dessert that stayed on the on the menu for ages that um, was a, a reasonable example of that. Like he, he really liked camp. He really liked Negronis, um, and he had this thing about Campari and orange and milk. It was a big thing for him, um, and he thought about it a lot. And at the time, I was working around with like um, fresh cheese, so we sort of we kind of thought about a few of the things that we were both doing um he really liked sherbet he really liked campari sherbet because he'd made it before um and we kind of stitched this dish together where it was just fresh cheese ice cream um bitter mandarin sorbet um mandarin jelly and campari sherbet like freeze-dried mandarin so reasonably simple but i guess there were components that represented him and components that represented me and then as a matching together, there were things that, you know, it was conceptually it was something that he really liked, um, just the, the three flavor, three key flavors. Um, and I could kind of problem solve it in a way that we got a range of different textures and a range of different flavors and they kind of married together really well. Yeah, right. And so it was this, this dish that kind of just sat there and but that, that dish just didn't change. It just <laughs> kind of stayed there. And so it was, it was kind of a good encapsulation of how we would work together of, he would have a concept and I'd be able to problem solve things and I'd be able to introduce elements that I guess logically seem to work well together. So it felt like a pretty reasonable kind of team in that sense. So, you know, it was one of those places that was, you know, felt like you were, you know, forged by fire. Like, you know, it was a hard place to work. And how long were you head chefing there for? Uh, like three and a half years, I think, something like that. And yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. We got, we got three hats there, which was really cool. It did feel, it did feel a little hard to, think how we deserved it sometimes when you sort of think about other places that had that same rating kind of didn't really feel like 
you know, there was times where we didn't have a sommelier at all. You know, we, we had like a consultant maybe writing the wine list, but we didn't have a sommelier for service. Sometimes you'd sit there and think, you know, I don't think we're at the same level as, you know, CPA and key and, and that sort of thing. So it also just gave you something to work towards. Like, you know, we need to try and maintain this. You know, we need to try and keep this level and keep pushing because, dear God, the fall from here would be just, <laughs> would be too, <laughs> too, too much. You know what I mean? Like, would be unbearable. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was, it was good in that sense. But yeah, very high pressure. What was that? What was that moment like? Kind of taking that restaurant, especially for, for both you and Ryan, there from the beginning, opening it up and 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 getting it to that point of three hats. That would have been a pretty incredible journey, having been there from day one. What was that kind of moment like when you found that out? Uh, yeah, it was kind of unbelievable to be honest. I think Ryan is, was a pretty confident kind of a guy. That was definitely his plan. You know what I mean? Like he wanted to write a contract for me that had you know a bonus for getting us into the world's top 100, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, right. like he, wanted, he wanted to achieve these things and, you know, whether you could achieve them or not was kind of irrelevant. It's like, if they're in the plan, then go for it, right? You know, try. <laughs> you, know, you, may, you may as well try, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, don't think that we, I, I don't think that I ever really thought that we would kind of, you know, go that far or even to go as far as we did. But I think, you know, maybe he, he kind of had that hope and that dream, so... Yeah, it's nice to work with someone like that that really, I don't know, can see where they want to go, I suppose. Yeah. You know, I guess if you've got that, you've got that vision, you've got that dream, like it's going to be one of the best restaurants in the world for sure. You know, maybe that helps you achieve it. No, that's awesome. And then after a few years, because 2015, you become executive head chef of Paper Daisy? Yeah, I think 15 maybe, something like that. At the time, I so I left Esquire because I was going to start a restaurant in Brisbane. Um, oh, okay. And that kind of... Yeah, that kind of fell through. I spent a few months working in a bakery because I really wanted to get better at making good bread. And then sort of did that for a while. I worked in Japan for a couple of months with a friend because he was opening a restaurant there, which was pretty cool. And it was right on the ski field. I could, you know, go snowboarding in the morning and, you know, work. And then, yeah, I got to go to the Noma pop-up in Tokyo because that was happening there at the time. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And then when I came back, just kind of did some pop-ups in Brisbane and yeah, got approached about Paper Daisy and sort of went down and did that. So Yeah, yeah. Um, that was different. I had never worked for a hotel. Um, right, yeah, yeah. And So, you know, coming from Esquire, coming from this place where it was very much like, we've written a menu, this is what we have, this is what you're eating, you know. Don't really have a lot I can do for you, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll shuffle a little, but I can't shuffle a lot. So, yeah, this is what's happening. And then you, you know, you go down to this hotel and it's very much like, this guy's paying $1,000 a night. He wants tomato pasta. It's not on the menu. You're going to make him a fucking tomato pasta. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no worries, man. I'll, I'll sort that out for you right now. Um, so it was, it was different. Um, and that, but that was also very good. It's kind of gets you a little bit out of the kind of my way or the highway headspace back mm. into the sort of like, you are here to serve guests. Sometimes it, I felt like it was maybe going a little too far. But at the same time, it was kind of like, you're here to make these people happy and mm. this is what they want. So make it, deal with it, find yeah. a way. And it's just like, cool, man, no worries. I will sort that out and we'll make that work. <laughs> and it was nice to, you know, get that experience of working in a bigger team, you know, running breakfast, lunch and dinner seven days a week, learning how to manage that. Um, but then also, I guess, very much learning that I don't want to work breakfast, lunch and dinner seven days a week. You know, I don't want to have that kind of a team. I don't want to try and run multiple outlets out of one kitchen. And, and I don't really want to be 
on the fly constantly making kind of whatever anyone wants just for the sake of it because i believe that the rest of the people in the dining room are suffering as a result mm. you know, and i don't think that's fair i don't think one guy saying i want x make it for me now is a good enough excuse for everyone else to wait for their food or everyone else <laughs> to have a worse experience um so that leaves you to the point where you sort of sit in the middle and go i'm going to work as hard as i can to make you happy i'm going to provide as much as i can to do that but we need to have a level we need to have a limit and we need to say yeah i i can i can do this i can't do that i'm sorry like you know this this is as far as i go yeah was did you find yourself the, a lot of pressure perhaps maybe in the media having gone from now three-headed restaurant to paper daisy which eventually did get a two hats in the 2019 good food guide but did you find that kind of pressure not really to be honest i kind of i didn't really i know when i left esquire I remember seeing like one or two articles come out saying that I'd left Esquire and that blew my fucking mind to be honest because I was like, <laughs> how is it news that I've quit my job? Like, yeah. who the fuck am I? Like, you know, this isn't a big deal. Um, and, you know, yeah, when I, when I got hired, there was kind of one or two and again, I was like, that's fucking weird, man. Like, who cares when you've got a new job? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Your, your mom cares, but like that's about it, right? Yeah. Um. So that that was a little odd, but honestly, I just felt like we were just we were in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, we were yeah. Cabarita Beach, like we're in a hotel. <laughs> like, who who even gives a shit about what we're doing? You know what I mean? No one's coming yet, and so it kind of took me by surprise when they did. Um. I kind of thought that it was going to be like this sort of. At first, I thought it was going to be like this, like ski chalet vibe of like you would do you know like 10 20 people for dinner and there would all be hotel guests and you just like change the menu for them and look after it and then we just got mercilessly flogged with day trippers from the gold coast of brisbane like wow i did not see that coming like <laughs> i didn't think sunday lunch would be such a big deal uh, yeah i i didn't think school holidays were going to be like the worst weeks of my life i just <laughs> thought that we'd be chilling out here and doing not much just make scrambled um, eggs and tomato pasta yeah. yeah, I so I I think I was a bit naive with that, but you know it's probably a good thing because I, I probably wouldn't have done it if I wasn't. So, um, yeah, I didn't. I ne- never really felt too much pressure in that sense because I yeah I just didn't think anyone would care. Yeah. Um. So it's probably a good way to go with it, I guess. Uh, the funny thing I recently found out today uh, was you you were on an episode of Master Chef as well. That'd have been yeah. That'd have been pretty funny. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, that was pretty weird. Um, <laughs> in fairness, not one of my happier memories. I mean, the the day itself was great, um, and the people were super lovely and really enjoyed it. After it aired, not everyone liked that I won, and I got some hate for a while, and I didn't like that. Really? Um, yeah, we got, kind of got trolled for a while there, which was not my favorite. What the hell? Um, people, I mean, people forget that it's... It's a reality show, not a fiction show, right? They yeah, kind of forget yeah. that you kind of forget that you're a person, um, <laughs> and it's understandable. Like you know, they they've been watching the show for a while, right? And they're invested in the characters and they want to see them thrive, um, and so they care obviously a lot more about the contestant than they care about you, which is fair. Uh, <laughs> and then they they see you win, and they go fuck that guy. Um, <laughs> You know, and you know what? I can find him on Instagram. He's gonna get a fucking piece of my mind. And you're like, all right, cool. This is, uh, yeah, this is uh, not what I thought was gonna happen. That's that's um, mental. Yeah, and so I didn't, I didn't see it at first, 
because um, we all sort of watched it at the hotel and, you know, it was nice and fun. And then I kind of hung out at the hotel for a while and had a drink and didn't really look at the phone. And then I got home and, and, and Yen was there and she's like, I don't know if you've been looking at phone, but it's getting a bit weird and a bit aggressive because I guess she'd been following the, the hashtag or looking at the posts. Uh, and then I looked at my phone and I was like, oh, yeah, this is, a, this is actually a little more extreme than I thought it would be. And that was, yeah, a lot of, a lot of messages uh, that were not, not very pleasant. That's it was quite crazy. funny because there was a lot, right? And it peaked around, you know, the end of the show. And then it, it sort of dropped a little. It's still getting messages, but kind of dropped. And then three hours later, it peaked again because it was showing in Perth. (laughs) 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 So that that kind of happened for a a day or two and then everyone moved on, Um, (laughs) which which was funny. And then some point it showed in New Zealand. And then I started getting these messages from New Zealand. And I was like, Jesus Christ. This is crazy. Yeah. And then it happened in Canada. And then Singapore and India, and like over the over a period of like months, um, wow. it, would, it would air in different places, and you know it it went from obviously happening here it was very extreme, or for me anyway, um, being someone that has never really gotten much in the way of online abuse before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember when the Australian cricket team got done for cheating in India. I got sent this message from someone, and this was well after it had actually aired in India. Someone sent me a message saying, I just rewatched your episode of MasterChef and I think I think you're worse than the Australian cricket team. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a bit extreme. But I what appreciate you fuck? taking the time to reach out. <laughs> um, what the hell? At so, least you're so, at least you're yeah. on a list of like worst Australian atrocities somewhere. Just uh... I was up there, yeah. I was I, I was, you know. So as an experience, fantastic. Um <laughs> As, as a um, result, <laughs> as a result afterwards, oh, my favorite. That's um, so crazy. So yeah, I I, w- I would think twice personally about kind of putting myself in that position again. Um, but to be fair, I don't think anyone's really knocking down my door to uh, to get on TV in, in anytime soon. So <laughs> I think I think I'll be okay for the moment. That's mental. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> That's not something you think about when you go on a, a TV show just for a bit of fun. Well, what you think is going to be fun? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as I said, it's understandable. Like, people are very attached to the characters. So, yeah, that was a funny one. All right. It happens. We'll back on track here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We get to the end of 2019, and you come around to opening up your own restaurant, Pippet. Yeah. Um, This obviously wouldn't be without having, like, a hand in the construction itself. I was reading that you had your dad doing some of the carpentry, you were doing the tiling. You know, there was just a lot going on, um, which is pretty crazy, and... Could you be able to tell us a bit more kind of behind that process of getting that kind of set up to where it, before it even opened? Yeah, I mean, we, we had been looking for a while. Um, we'd been looking at, at, you know, whether it was going to buy a business or what it was going to be. I guess I wanted to I wanted to own a business because I, I thought it would make me happy. And so when this kind of came up, I was like, yep, we can, you know, we can make this, this space work. Mm. So we kind of just took the punt. At the time, Yen was pregnant, so we, we had a baby just before we started construction. So around the planning time, we were kind of going through that, which was, which was challenging, but there was kind of delays in the, in the process. We originally sort of had a scheduled opening date of the restaurant of being like two weeks before the baby was born, which 
would have just been the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> so the fact that it got pushed out a couple of months later, you know, over time was you know, a blessing. Honestly. Yeah. Penny, Penny was born sort of two weeks before we sort of started construction. So I had kind of a week off to, you know, get used to that. And then my last week of Paper Daisy. Um, and then the day after I finished Paper Daisy, I was, I was in here doing construction. We'd kind of, you know, isolated out different um, tradespeople that we wanted to work with. And then we had a construction company that helped us oversee everything and sort of went, yep, here's what it'll all cost. And it was like tiling $12,000 does not include tiles. Painting $8,000 does not include paint. Rendering $8,000 does not include render. And I just sort of looked at that and I was like, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> um, I can tile. Like, I'll do it. I've never done it before but I'm sure I can make this work. Um, so dad being a retired carpenter um, was like, yep, we can, we can do this. You know, we can't run the whole project ourselves. We will need, you know, a site foreman, but I can definitely tile, you know, um, and having his expertise was, was really handy because um, just kind of the finer details of, you know, making the door, the doors work and the corners work and that sort of thing. Um, he, he kind of had a bit more information with, which was really good. That was really good. I think the, probably the downside on that was I didn't actually really spend a lot of time thinking about the restaurant and, you know, the actual running of the restaurant and that sort of thing. Um, you know, when it came time for opening, it was like, oh, I haven't really gone through and thought about the menu for a while and I've thought about the procedures in a while because I've just been so head down on this construction. Mm. So it, felt, it did feel a little bit manic. Um, you sort of look at those places where they're opening a restaurant and the chef goes for a trip overseas for three months or something or, um, you know, all this kind of research and development. Um, I kind of was thinking a bit enviously of that. You know, I hadn't, hadn't really done the planning that I probably would have liked to. But at the same time, it just meant you need a menu. Just sit down, just write it, just get in there and do it and it'll be okay. So... So you finally get the restaurant open. Coming off the back of having the restaurant built, you finally got to think about the menu like we were just talking about. You know, it seems like you've got a lot of interest in like foraging, but you've also got a lot of interest in local, like native, you know, around the area. Was that kind of what you really wanted to push out at Pippet? And was that something you were trying to experiment through Paper Daisy, seeing what works and, and kind of being able to use that, I suppose, for, for Pippet? that makes sense yeah well that was one of the really good benefits of, of spending that time at paper daisy was um i mean i grew up in this area but i didn't really work in this area so i didn't have much in the way of contacts right um so coming down to paper daisy i did feel a little bit lost i suppose so having a couple of years to establish some contacts um you know with farms with just local people in general you know that put me in a good standing with some you know some people um, and then also just being able to figure out where things are, you know, you know, putting, you know, with regards to, you know, wild ingredients, finding good locations to pick them, to, um, come back to for quite a while. I've really liked the idea of using, you know, as many things that are, um, native as possible, but at the same time, one of the real benefits of our region, um, and one of the things that we like to talk about is the fact that from a geographical point of view from a soil quality point of view or a climate point of view there are a lot of other places in the world that we are very similar to so we can use things that are native to here and we can use them alongside things that might have been native in yeah say thailand for example um and i find they match really well 
because they're growing under similar conditions. And so native things speak to the story of this area very well. You know, it's a very good area for finger limes. It's a good area for things like Davidson plum, lemon aspen, um, uh, strawberry gum, um, lemon myrtle, um, shortleaf tamarind, like the native tamarind. Mm. There's a lot of really beautiful things we can get here. We can get emu eggs, wild, you know, wild pippies. So these things are native and they speak to the story of this area from a historical point of view. Um, and to be honest, as someone that grew up painfully white in a very white family in what was a very white community, these are things that I just didn't know. Um, and it's taken me until now to really um, understand and appreciate that. So it's not necessarily my story personally, but it's the story of this area. Yeah. And that's the thing that I'm really interested in at this point. And you, you're still even using Pippet as a place to continue to experiment, which is good to see the passion still kind of there in terms of, you know, whether it be breads. I saw recently made, oh, maybe not recently, but I saw like, you know, macadamia milk chocolate, for example. Like yeah. all, all these things that, you know, may still be busy, may still be pushing it. Um, but it's kind of good to see there's still kind of that passionate and, and a time there allowed for that as well, which I think is, um, very much, you know, props as well. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I'm probably spreading myself a little bit thinly. Um, I have a few too many projects on the go. Um, I've started doing uh, Gyotaku um, printing, which is like um, Japanese fish printing. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I've, you know, recently started trying to make um, cheese because I was quite interested to do that. And um, so I've got some a few cheeses on the go and and gotten into making you know, salami a bit more because we had we don't use any animals with hooves but we have a bit of duck uh so sort of duck leg salami and some like tuna salami um and then just the regular other trying to make the menu be creative work which is you know also challenging so sometimes i do probably bite off a little bit more than i need to um but sometimes i guess if you get a little bit excited about something you just want to see where it goes yeah and most recently, uh, what you've been able to do is kind of push out uh, Pippet to kind of the community with some kind press touching out. Uh, yeah, that and, was quite and, good. Yeah, and doing a book with them. And that, I suppose that had been a really cool kind of opportunity, even something different for you as well, of kind of being that kind of play of maybe doing kind of recipe books and, and so forth. But yeah, tell us a bit about kind of that that happened and how you guys got together to kind of push push that book out. Yeah, well, it's um, I saw that you know they were doing some of the other books with um, you know Aaron from Igni and and some of the other guys down south. Um, so I, I I bought a couple of books, um, and they'd sort of put a call out to say you know you know what other businesses do you think would have a good a good story? So I you know I tagged the restaurant in there because I thought you know Yen my my wife is she works in graphic design now, um, but she's always kind of worked in urban design and experience design and, and those sorts of things. So she's always been really interested in community engagement and documenting these sorts of things, documenting the processes that we've been through. So I thought that she'd be pretty interested in it. But yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely interesting to sort of sit there and kind of expand on kind of the weekly note-taking that I'd been doing because mm. um, it's sort of very shorthanded. Um, and then to write kind of like, you know, basically a, an introduction to a period of time from a um, produce point of view, from you know different aspects, and then from a kind of like a kind of like a weather point of view, or like you know, a, I guess like an atmospheric, um, what's happening in this area generally at this time, 
and then from a specific point of view of what happened in this restaurant what happened for us in that period of time in the last 12 months because yeah i mean first 12 months of the restaurant began with challenges um you know we we actually redesigned the restaurant after we opened it and rebuilt some of it um and then you know obviously as any other business has as you know the challenges as the year goes on and then you know our, our 12 months ends with the the shutdown of um you know covid so it was good to document in that sense you know it, when you really see how far you've how far you've come in in that period of time like even just the progression of the food like yeah right so i mean now in, in closing do you want to just talk to us a bit about maybe uh, where Pippet's at now and, and where you'd like to take the the restaurant and the menu and kind of where you see it in the, in the future? Um, I mean, so what we've got to, the point we've got to now with regards to, say, how we're operating, we basically looked at what was working and what wasn't working so well from a financial point of view, from a efficiency point of view, and just from a staff happiness point of view. Um and what's that, what that led us to with regards to, to reopening after the lockdown was removing an a la carte menu. Um, and so we only do set menus. We've been selective with the days that we've reopened um, to try and capture the best you know, possible market we can. We will certainly go back to doing kind of pop-ups and things like that with our spare time because, you know, we have this building, we have this space, and then, you know, think about expanding if, if, we're, if we're fortunate. You know, maybe maybe open a Vietnamese restaurant if we can, because um, that's you know it's my wife's heritage. Um, we see it as kind of a gap in the market in our area specifically, but really just trying to figure out how to get this running well. Um, for me, I probably need to find a way to not always be the guy that feels like he needs to be in the restaurant all the time. This business is great and I love it. I don't think it's really gonna you know. I've got mouths to feed, you know what I mean? I've got to think about schooling a child and, you know, mm. maybe eventually getting a nicer house or something like that with a backyard for her to run around in. Yeah. Um, and I don't think this business is really going to have the um, the spend to do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like, well, you got to think about the best way to do that. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for, for jumping on and, and sharing your story. It's pretty pretty extensive i must say <laughs> <laughs> that's all right it's uh i tend i tend to ramble on so thanks thanks for uh thanks for indulging me no it was good man it's uh you know since kind of like all this shit's gone down it was kind of really good to just keep an eye on restaurants and, and see where everyone's going and and just me personally like seeing restaurants from a year ago now to, it's nice to just kind of you know touch base and just see what's going on it's, yeah. it's good it's good you know we've never chatted before but it's nice to just sit down have mm. a bit of a bit of a laugh and banter and yeah. see what's going on so thanks so much mate i'll definitely keep in touch sounds good thank you have a good one Cheers.